This morning, we're picking up from last week, uh, knowing God who calls you. Who is, who is this God? We've been talking about a God who's wired you to communicate with him, talk with him, to hear his voice on the inside, uh, for him to be uh, in your thoughts, in your ideals, your values, your understandings, just that complete redemption that comes from Christ within, that we truly can live a life that's redeemed, not just altering our behavior. And last week, we really introduced this God, uh, the fact that, um, that we connect with a God that, that is a big God. Uh, he is a giant God, and so that's kind of how it is. We're the small print. He is the large print of life. And the question I began with uh, last week, just who is this God who wired you to communicate and be with him? What is this God like? Um, Who is he? And so out of that, we began with the verse out of John, chapter 17, verse 3, and this is in the NIV. Now this is eternal life, that they know you the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is is the essence, the power of real life, all life, forever life, is to really know this God. To know him and, and the understanding that Jesus is that way, that we really can say, I know God. How many of us, if somebody would say, do you really know God? Yes, I know God. Keanu Reeves could say, I know Kung Fu. (laughs) But that won't get you very far. I know God. You know God. And so... To know God is to know this, where it's described in Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. This is in the NIV. I am nothing like you. This is what, this is what God says. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and, and my ways are not your ways, declares the Lord. And the difference is astronomical. From the heavens to the earth, that's the kind of distance. But then when he comes back and says, through Jesus, and he comes to live in us, And he begins to reform our thoughts and our ways so that that distance is closed. And we become a people who know God. And and we began to talk a little bit about knowing God. What's his attributes? What is he like? And we, we talked about he's loving, he's forgiving, and he's merciful, and he's kind, and he's patient. And all those things are true. And, and not to be, like, diminished in the way it might have just sounded when I said that. He is all loving. Who can do that? All patient, all kind. He is those things. Those are absolutely who he is. You cannot separate any of those things from him. But very often, there's some other pieces. He is just. He is perfect. He is righteous. Every thought, every ideal, every inclination, every way of God 
is absolutely perfect. He is holy. He is transcendent. And, and what that term actually means is he operates outside of time. You and I, we look at, okay, I've got X number of years left based on statistics. He doesn't operate like that. He operates before time and after time and in time. He is not constrained by time. That's what makes him a little bit unreachable when we try to get our mind wrapped around God. That, that is just, that's a piece that is just a big struggle to get your mind wrapped around a God who always was. Right there is a disconnect, isn't it? He is independent. He doesn't need anything. He doesn't need you to do something. He wants you to. But he's not lacking if we are lacking. He is all present. He is present everywhere. He is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. He is all of these things. And to not keep this part of God in mind is to reduce him to something less than you will need to walk out your life. You need a powerful God. You need a God who transcends time. You need a God who is operating right now on the other side of your death. You need that God. You need a God who was aware of you and was investing in you before you were conceived. You need that God. You need him to be real and true. You need a God who is perfect. You need a God who has a way of having powerful wrath and powerful judgment as an attribute. And he's powerfully loving and merciful. Often in the church, they describe this war between God's justice and God's mercy. But that's, that's not true. There is no war inside God. There is no war between his mercy and his justice. His, his being is in absolute harmony. And it's why Jesus did have to die for sin. So that all of the justice, all of the wrath of God would be satisfied. And so that love and mercy would be satisfied. Jesus has these words for us in Matthew 33, verses 37 and 38. And this is in the message Love the Lord your God with all your passion and your prayer and your intelligence. This is the most important and the first on any list. Devote yourself. You know, last week, as I discussed this idea of this all-powerful God, this... Um, this God that, that dwarfs us. And I think for very often for people to imagine this God who is all-powerful, who um, even to look upon him, people melt into a puddle. And to try to figure out how to call him 
daddy. We, we, we have that disconnect. God doesn't have that disconnect. But the truth is, can you love? Can you look upon God who is not like you, who is truly all-powerful? He is all those things. And he commands a presence that makes angels and demons tremble. Can you have a relationship with him? In Psalm 15, uh, 1611 in the NIV, you make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. That's the all-powerful God speaking to you and I. Last week I left us with, what does your God really look like? Is he big and powerful? Does he reach beyond the top of the universe? Or do you really have more questions and suspicions of him than you do adoration? Our human nature is we are used to being the God of our life. And I find for most of us, God is always having to prove himself. I mean, why didn't he answer that prayer the way I wanted? Why didn't he do this? Why did he do that? And with each question, here's what we do. We bring God down a notch. You see, if he answers all my questions satisfactorily, if he reveals himself in such a way that I am now comfortable with his presence, then I will accept him as my God in that moment. But what I have done is I have reduced God to my level. I have put him as a peer plus some. I have reduced my God to look like, as I said last week, the very best form of me what I think is true, what I think is noble, what I think is admirable. But in that place, I have become God. Today, I really want to address the challenge that we face that is a, a mortal challenge. It has the power to be a mortal wound for you and I. And that is to walk with God, the God, will require, it will demand that you and I can humble ourselves. Can you, can you be humble? Can I be humble? Years ago, I did a, uh, in fact, we were in Mexico, and I was working with Carlos, and I, I started the sermon this way. I said, uh, God has a weakness. 
he did not like that language, and he looked at me, not wanting to translate that with, with more information. And he looked at me. Um, he did not agree with that statement. And, and I said, um, he said, what? And I said, God has a weakness. Say it. And there was a bit of a tension between the two of us for a moment. Uh, and then he said it. He said, only because I trust you. But he didn't trust me all the way because he turned and he says, he said, God has a weakness. Don't kill the messenger. That isn't what he said, but that's what he implied. And I could see the look on people's faces. But my text that day was really about the king Manasseh. And it said Manasseh was the most evil of all the kings. He sacrificed his own children to idols. It said that innocent blood ran in the streets and that he invented ways of evil. And time after time, prophets came to him and challenged him to repent and follow the one true God, but he resisted them. And he was conquered, and he was carried away with a nose through his ring, a ring through his nose to a foreign land. And then you see those words, those amazing, amazing words. If you let them, they will jump off of the page. It said, and Manasseh humbled himself. And he cried out to God. That's a miracle. For any human being to actually humble themselves is a miracle. But the greatest miracle is it said, God was moved. God was moved. The God of the universe, the one who is righteous, the one who is just, all-powerful, and he can, he can wipe out all evil with a thought. And this man was evil, but he humbled himself. He submitted himself. He relinquished the arrogance of a peer relationship he relinquished the idea that he was the one who calls the shots. And he humbled himself before God, and he cried out to God. And it says God heard him and was moved. Have you ever desperately wanted God to move? Were you eye to eye with him? Or did you humble yourself and make him God? The distance, the distance is great. You see, in our world, we call that a weakness. In God's world, it's a virtue.
He has a heart for the humble. He never resists the humble. In fact, the Old Testament labels him as the humble king. Jesus came and he modeled just such a life. Philippians 2, this is verse 6 through 11 in the NIV. This is about Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in the image of human likeness. You see, although he could actually be a peer with God, he came to be the, the reinvention of humanity. He came to model the path that everyone could follow. Every man, woman, every boy, every girl could follow him back to the Father. And the road was humility. The road was not trying to get myself good in my behavior to the point where I can go eye to eye with God, but it's being who I was created to be and allowing God to be God in my life. Do you know this God that was moved by the humility of Manasseh? Do you know him? He took on a human likeness. He did not seek equality with God. Do you seek equality with God? Do you want it? Even though we don't think it's attainable, we, we sure push for it. I have my rights. I have my ideas. I have my questions. I want my answers. Before I give a dollar, God, you need to give me an extra dollar. Before I do this, God, you need to do this. Before I'm willing to do this, you need to do this. All of that is about me being God. I'm saying, here's how it's going to work, God. Here's how it's going to work. If you and I are going to deal, if we're going to be at the table together, here is how I'm going to have to have it work. Does God speak to you? Because most of the time when we come to that table and we take that position that, God, you're going to have to do certain things for me to really do this. What you're going to hear is silence. I think the loneliest place in the world is making demands of God. I spent many years of my life with demands on God. You know, he was gracious. He did answer me. I would say, why, 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 why to have these whys? And I'm just going at him with anger like this. And he would say to me, do you trust me? I got to where I absolutely answered him. No, I don't trust you. You didn't do a good job last time. Why would I trust you again? Silence. Until I ask why again. And then he says, do you trust me? I mean, for 10 years, that was his only answer. Like he had one answer. He's a one-answer guy.
I look back now, it humbles me that he was patient and he extended a true question back to me each time. He's the God of Manasseh. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place. He gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and everywhere else there is something that can bow. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I want you to see this language. Every knee is going to bow. A time is coming when God will make every demon, everything will bow. So if we're not comfortable bowing before our God, and in the West we're not, we're just not used to bowing to anything or anybody. We see that as belittling. We see that as below us. But there is one who stands over you and stands over me. And his name is God. Matthew 11, 28 through 30, this is NIV. Jesus begins to tell other people, this is how the humility works in mankind. Come to me, all of you who are weary. You're burdened. You're struggling. You can't figure it out. You can't make ends meet. There's injustice in your life. There's poverty. There's anger. There's bitterness. There's sickness. Come to me. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learn how I live. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Follow me. I am gentle. I am humble. He's saying, follow me. Do what I do. And you're going to find that it brings rest for your soul. He's, you know, people look at this as that I'm going to come to Jesus and he's going to put his yoke on me and he's going to take my yoke on him and all this stuff is going on. That's really not what it says. He says, hey, live life the way I am. You're going to find this is not a heavy load. Why? Because he doesn't have to defend himself. He doesn't have to protect himself. He doesn't have to make a name for himself. He doesn't have to worry about all the things that we worry about. Am I beautiful enough? Am I popular enough? Am I good enough? Am I smart enough? Do I have the money to be all that I want to be? Or is God really over all that anyway?
Matthew 28, I mean 23, 11 through 13. The greatest among you will be servants, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And here's where we began to find out an interesting reality about those who humble themselves before God. You're going to find that he is always with you. Always. Look at these verses. Psalm 25, 9. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. He guides them. When you put God up above and you take your place submitted to him, he's going to guide you in all of your ways. Psalm 147, 6. The Lord sustains the humble but he casts the wicked to the ground. He holds up the humble. He takes care of them. He secures them. Psalm 149, verse 4. For the Lord takes delight in his people. He crowns the humble with victory. It just doesn't sound like the humble the way we write it, does it? That God guides them. He sustains them. He keeps them going. And then he gives them the victory. In fact, Matthew 5, 5 says, God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. It is no small thing to make God God. It is no small thing. What you'll find is God is equally passionate about those who continue to be God in their life. It says that he resists them. In James chapter 4, 6 and 7, he gives grace generously, and as the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He opposes those who are not humble. 1 Peter 5, starting in the middle of verse 5, verse 6, all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. We, uh, we have a lot in the scripture about this topic. He resists the proud. He resists those who bring him down to their level. He resists. This is a story Nathan is going to share with us. This is King Nebuchadnezzar. It's found in chapter 4 of the book of Daniel. Um, he was a powerful, powerful king. Uh, in Babylon back in the day, uh, his story is, is quite um, powerful. And so I'm going to let uh, Nathan share that with you. All right, this starts out as a letter that uh, King Nebuchadnezzar wrote. King Nebuchadnezzar, to the nations and people of every language who live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders <clears throat> that the 
most high God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. Okay. Now, Nebuchadnezzar has just sent this letter out. It's a communique. It is a, it is a Twitter. <laughs> Went out everywhere. Now, this is, this is the big guy on the block, all right? He's the biggest king on the planet. To all the nations, all the people, every language, everyone who lives on the earth. I mean, I want I, everybody. May you prosper greatly. That's strange language for a powerful king to speak to the whole world, isn't it? May I prosper greatly. Wow, have I? But he's... Speaking blessing over them. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and the wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are the signs, how mighty His wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. Now, that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? He's proclaiming God has done incredible things for him, signs and wonders and miracles, and, and how God is all-powerful and he's all these things. So what do you think God has done for him that he would send out a communique to the entire world talking about the amazing miracles God had done for him? What do you think that could be? I mean, that's, that's pretty amazing that the king sees it fit that the entire world needs to know about the signs and wonders God is doing in his life. So, we're going to find out what those signs and wonders were. Go ahead. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in bed... The images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. These are the visions I saw while lying in bed. I looked, and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong, and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it, the wild animals found shelter, and the birds lived in its branches from it every, from, it, from it, every creature was fed. In the visions I saw while lying in bed, I looked, and there before me was a holy one, a messenger coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, Cut down the tree and trim off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but let the stump and its roots bound with iron and bronze remain in the ground, in the grass of the field. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass before him. The decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of people. Okay. So he has sent out this letter describing a dream that he had. But this dream did not sound cool. 
did not sound cool at all. And so if you got the dream, the dream was this. Did I, do I have you giving the interpretation? I don't think I do, do I? Uh, I kind of skips. Yeah, to, uh, I, I think we skipped it because it's, it's a long chapter. It's right but here. he calls, um, yeah, he calls, he calls Daniel to interpret the dream. And Daniel says, King, the tree is you. You're going to be chopped down. All the leaves, all the animals, everything is going to be gone. But the stump is going to be left. The roots are going to be left. And you're going to be turned out into the wild like an animal. You're going to live like an animal for seven years until you humble yourself. It's the most powerful king on the planet. And God is saying, until you humble yourself. Verse 17, the decision is announced by messengers. The Holy One declares the verdict so that the living may know that the Most High, that God, the God who is all-powerful, all-knowing, who is transcendent, He is all those things, that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on the earth, and He gives them to anyone He wishes, and He sets over them the lowliest of people. He's saying, I decide who is king. Kings don't decide to be kings. I decide. I can do anything I want with any kingdom. Go ahead. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later... As the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified Him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal kingdom. Is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as He pleases. With the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth, no one can hold back His hand or say to Him, "What have you done?" At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and then glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. 
It says that at the end, his mind was restored, and then he praised the Most High. I honored, and I glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases. And the powers of the earth, of heaven and the people of the earth, no one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? You see, this is the letter he sent out to the world to say, here's what happened to me. I, I learned that God decides it's his blessing. It's his will. And he is powerful and he is capable to be the God of your life and my life. Where we are not capable, where we can't secure the job we need, can't find the money we need, we can't overcome our genetics that curse us. With our lust and our weaknesses, we struggle. And God says, if you will humble yourself, I will sustain you. I will be your God. Daniel chapter 10, verse 11 and 12. This is Daniel had a dream. And the man said to me, a man came to him. It's actually an angel. Daniel, you are very precious to God. So listen carefully to what I have to say to you. Stand up, for I have been sent to you. When he said this to me, I stood up, still trembling. Then he said, don't be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day you began to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your request has been heard in heaven. I have come in answer to your prayer. Let's hold it there, Betty. You know, in Psalm 107, it says, when the numbers decreased, they were humbled by oppression, calamity, in sorrow. My question is, do we always have to be beat down to find humility? Is it possible to surrender to God, the place of God, without being brought to the lowest of lows? It said that Daniel, from the first day that you began to pray for understanding and to humble yourself, God says, I've heard every word and I'm here to answer you. How would you describe your God? Is he bigger than you? Is he better than you? Are you okay with the mystery that you don't completely get him? 
Are you okay that you don't have answers? Do you make it a point to make sure God is always exalted? He's always made high in your heart and mind. Are most of our activities dragging him down to our level? Our questions, our thoughts, our cynicism, our unbelief, our laziness, all of it comes together that we don't have a very powerful God. It's because for many of us, that God is still me. It's still me. I have a God that looks painfully like me, that's calling the shots in my life. And for me to surrender and humble myself and go on my knees before my God, that He will exalt me. There's a saying in, in missions that it's amazing how much can get accomplished if nobody cares who gets the credit. When we work hard at things, we want the credit. God says everything you pull off, everything you're successful at, that was me. We don't like that. You make a sale. God says that was me. You win a ball game. God says that was me. Every success, I made sure you got it. You say no to a drug today. That was me. You're welcome. You say yes to being generous or kind. You forgive someone. And what Nebuchadnezzar began to understand is, wow, I thought I did all this. I thought that was me. And God showed me, no, that was him. And as long as I can get that piece right, that every good and perfect thing that comes out of me, it was him. Then there's a way for me to know humility. And I don't have to find my humility in the despair of being brought low. If you would stand, please. God humbles us a lot. But I don't think he wants to. I think he has to. 